Before we get into the main message, I actually want to give a little preliminary, a little pre-sermon sermon. First Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Just whoever gets there first gets candy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got, I'm going to read it off the screen. Praise God. So this is Paul speaking. This is Paul talking. And this church at this time is in a very babyhood state. It's a newly founded church. And so these people are baby Christians. And Paul, he even likens himself to be like a nursing mother. He feels like he's their mother. Now, you might be like, what, don't you mean a father? No, I'm just telling you what he said. He said, I'm like a nursing mother. You know, obviously fathers love their children, but there's something different about a love of a mama. Right? Right, mothers? (laughs) And so he's talking to to these people, and, and it's his heart. I mean, these feel like his kids. Okay? And he says to them, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively, everyone say effectively, works in you who believe. Hmm. Hmm. Let's think about that for a second. So if it can effectively work in some, does that mean it could not effectively work in some? Let's let's look into it. Let's think about that. So, you also know the parable where there's four types of ground. The seed was sown, the parable of the sower who sows the seed. There's four types of ground, right? And so, if you look at that parable, you got the, some of the seed fell by the wayside. Some of the seed fell on stony ground. Some of the seed fell onto thorns and thistles that choked it up. And some fell on good soil. If you have the same packet of seeds and you put it in these four types of ground and only one-fourth of that, only 25% is actually producing, is it the seed or is it the ground? Yeah, yeah, it's a trick question. It's the ground. It's the same seed. The same word that can be spoken. Some people will take it and it will work effectively in them. And some, it will not. But it's not the word that's the problem. Everyone say, the word always works. The word always works. But if you look at the word, you see only one of the four actually produced anything. One. Same seed. Different soil. So let's see what he says about these people. He says, you received the word of God. You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Oh, that might seem simple. Well, he said those are the ones where it's effectively working in them. It's the ones who took the message, heard the preacher, went to church, heard the word of God that day, and took it as word of God and not word of man. Oh, the preacher just said. Oh, someone just said. No, this message is straight from heaven. This is a word for me today. And those are the ones that it says it works in them effectively. So... Y'all in here, make the decision now. 
before we get into the main message. You make the decision now on what kind of ground you're going to be. Am I going to be good ground? Am I going to let this word come come in one ear and out the other? No. No. Because James says, if you're a hearer only, you deceive yourself. But if you're a doer of that word, come on, you're going to produce. You're going to be a fruitful Christian. That's something that God's looking for in his people. He's looking for those who are fruitful. Fruitful. The vines that don't bear any fruit, what do they do? Cut them right off and throw them in a fire. God's looking for you to be fruitful. And so you make that decision, not him. You make that decision this morning. I'm going to be good soil. And I see right here, I'm looking about, I feel like I'm in Lowe's in the gardening section. Bunch of good soil right here. That's what I see. Bunch of good soil. <laughs> you like that. All right. <laughs> so let's get into the main message. Amen. Who's ready for the word? All right. I want you to first take your Bible. Who got your Bible with you? Who brought your Bible? I want you to put it in your hand. Hold it up and say this. <laughs> this. All right. Somebody get him some candy. <laughs> All right. Say, this is the word of God. I'm a doer of the word. Not a hearer only. My ears are open. My heart's ready to receive the word of God. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Amen. If you've ever listened to John Osteen preach, he does something similar in the beginning. That's where I got that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't remember exactly what he says on that part, but I said, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. What happened? Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So I want you to think about this. Humility. The definition of humility. Okay. So we're going to be talking about today. Oh, yeah. Going up. Going up. I think Pastor Darrell has said this. The way up is down. Sounds funny. The way up is down. But with the kingdom of God, God does, I mean, however the world does it, you, can, you better bet it's exactly the opposite of how God does it. Every time. The way up is down. So here's one definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I love that quote. And when I think of humility, I always think about that quote. Because oftentimes, people have such a misconstrued uh, idea or definition of humility. It's totally wrong. It's totally messed up. Where they think, I got to think lesser of myself. I'm just a worm. Oh, just me. I'm just, I'm trash. I'm dirt. Like, for example, you know the world really promotes that? I know y'all have seen American Idol or you've seen, uh, um, what's what, like The Voice, like different things like that. And they always choose the ones, the singers and stuff who have this like lowly background, right? And those are the ones like, because you want them to win. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But <laughs> you see all throughout social media and all kinds of stuff. You see that what people think is humble, because you see in comments, oh, they're so humble, is when you say something like, oh, you sing so well. And they're like, no, no, oh, me, nah. I know, it kind of sucks, right? Like, no way, I, it doesn't really sound that good. And they're, because they want you to be like, no, no, it's great, I'm telling you, it's great. This is a false humility. They want to be puffed up. They want, you know, and there's nothing wrong with complimenting people. You should compliment people, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying here is there's a false sense of humility that's been growing around. That, that it kind of got, you know, there's sometimes in the church as well, where if you're going to be like Jesus, you got to be poor, right? Got to be poor, and you got to be lowly, and all of this. Nah, that's not humility. 
Ah, that's not humility. We're going to get into it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Good stuff. I'm excited. Good stuff. (laughs) Philippians 2, what did I say, 5? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Glad y'all are listening. Two, five through eleven. Here we go. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was, right? And Jesus is very humble, right? All right. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, which, by the way, pause right there, a bondservant is a servant who's a servant by choice. There's slaves and then there's bondservant. What makes someone a bondservant rather than a regular servant or a slave is that they are a servant by choice. They lay down their life on purpose. And usually they often have a very strong connection with whoever their master is, whoever is over them. They usually are like family. And so they decide to be a bondservant. And you can decide to be a bondservant for the rest of your life or there's back in the day there were you could serve for a certain amount of time and so forth. But bondservants oftentimes would want to stay with that family because they loved them and became part of the family. So he is a bondservant, meaning he became a servant on his own, on purpose, by a choice. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, everyone say therefore. 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 When you see therefore, that's context clues. Context there means that you have to look at what the verses were before the therefore. Because of this, therefore this. Right? So let's continue. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay? So, it says, this is what he did, therefore he's been given the name above every name. What he's showing you here is that even Jesus himself, I mean, was Jesus a doer of the word? He was the word made flesh. It's showing here that we know, oh, Jesus, name above every name, he's the highest of, there's nothing above him, highest of highs. It's because he went to the lowest of lows. Jesus got the name that is above every name because he went lower than anyone else was willing to go. Because he went lower than anyone else, God made him higher than anyone else. You see how that works? And when God did this with Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the model. Right? Oftentimes, people put Jesus in a separate category. Now, I hear at Word of Life Church, we get some good teaching on that. Praise God. So I know a lot of y'all know that. Praise God. But oftentimes, I mean, you probably have family members, right? Family members, friends and stuff. You need to, you know, kind of help them out, right? That will put Jesus in a whole separate category. Well, Jesus did that because he's Jesus. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't be a very good prototype if you couldn't do the things he did. That's right. A model or a prototype is just something that you're going to make duplicates of. And so when, G- when God did things through Jesus, he had full intention of doing those things through you. Yeah. He had you in mind, yeah. right? 
So Jesus, he's the prototype. If he was lifted up, if he was promoted by bringing himself lower, how are you going to be promoted? Amen. <laughs> by bringing yourself lower. Now, this isn't in, in, in lowliness, like, again, like I'm a worm and I'm awful. No, no, because if, you, if Jesus is the prototype or the model and you're, you're another one, you're a duplicate of him, yeah. Christian meaning, meaning little Christ, little anointed one, then if he, is Jesus a worm? No. Is Jesus awful? No, you're not. Amen. You're not a worm. You're not awful. You're made in the image of God himself. He chose, you know, that's so powerful. You remember, think, of, think of back in the day in Israel, a bunch of places, not just Israel, but I'll use them for example because it's in the word, where they made calves and they made these different idols and statues and stuff like that because they always wanted something to look at to be able to relate to as this is God. And so what they would do is they would make statues and stuff like that, idols, wood, gold, and they, they believed that the spirit of whatever that God was would then go and enter that idol, that image. So what's so interesting is God decided, I want the image of me to be us. He decided that we would be the image of him and we'd be filled with his spirit, right? So powerful, so powerful. But God, you see, Jesus had to go to the lowest of lows to be able to get to the highest of highs. James 4.10. James 4.10, a lot of y'all know this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. And so, with that being said, we're going to actually now go to Mark 9.35. But we are going to go back to James 4.10 a couple times. We're going to be back there a couple times today. Mark 9.35. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Now, if anyone, if, I mean, the ones that are closest to him, the ones that he's teaching, the ones that walked closest to him, this is what he says to them. So if anyone could have been puffed up, if anyone could have said, you know, well, I'm closest to Jesus, so I get best seat. And actually, they did say that. And so this is why Jesus has to reply to them. He sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, He shall be last of all and servant of all. Amen? Amen. Mark, no, Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Got a lot of scriptures today. But a great man of God once said, the more scriptures in your sermon, the more power, because there's power in the word. And I took that to heart. (laughs) I took it literally. (laughs) Y'all aren't here to hear what I got to say. Y'all are here to hear what he has to say. Amen. So, and I'm very well aware of that. So I'll give you what he has to say. <laughs> Matthew 20, 25. That's good. Amen. Ooh, yes, 25 through, what did I say? <laughs> 100, 25 to 28. All right. But Jesus called them to himself, so disciples, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And those who are great exercise authority over them. Next verse. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man. See how he called himself the Son of Man here? He's the Son of God, and he's also the Son of Man. He's the Son of God and made himself the Son of Man. Did not come to be served, but to what? And to give his life a ransom for many. The one that could have, rightfully so, the one that it would have made sense if he was like, yes, serve me. And we do, we serve the Lord gladly. We're like, yes, because he's such a good God. He's the one who it would have been okay to say something like that, but he didn't. The one who made you, made everything, has all authority, authority, heaven and earth. This is the one who said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. This is our prototype. This is our model. This is how every day we ought to wake up ready to serve. How can I serve? How can I give my life for my brother? No greater love has, I'm getting ahead of myself in my sermon, but no greater love, right, than someone who lays down their life for their brother. That's what God defines as love. What did Jesus do? He laid down his life for his brother. His, his brother. All right? Man, that's powerful. That might, you know, again, that, that might seem simple, but is the gospel not simple? Is the gospel itself not simple? It's so simple, but it's so profound because it's so simple. It's so easy. Free gift. Simple, but profound. And so I really want, I want, I really want this to become so big in you because we have a lot of great topics that we teach on, a lot of great sermons that we listen to, a lot of books that we read that are awesome, phenomenal, great, great things, prosperity, health and healing. I mean, major key points that the Bible talks about. But if you lose sight of this, if you lose sight that you are to serve, then you're not like Jesus in, in any way. That is the, I mean, that's step one, right? And so I want this to be so big in you. I want you to leave here with a revelation of who, yes, who you are, but what you are to do. And this is to be just like Jesus. And he was a servant, so you're a servant. Amen? Amen. And so Philippians, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to say that later. All right, so pride. Let's talk about the flip side. Pride pulls itself up. Pride knocks somebody else in the head to get ahead. Pride pushes brothers and sisters so that they can be above. Think about the workforce, right? Think about things in the work, status, all these things. If you tear down other people, then you'll be lifted up is this mindset in the world. If you blow out someone else's candle, yours will be brighter. And that's nothing farther than the truth. Pride always tries to lift itself up and always ends up falling. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Pride pulls itself up only to be brought low. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verses 17 to 19. Ezekiel 7, uh, what did I say? 28, I almost said 78, 17, that's why. All right, Ezekiel, right before Daniel, there we go, 28. says, your heart was lifted up. So this is talking about Satan, okay? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And that word lifted up there is proud, pride. 
Your heart was full of pride because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You know we're kings. We're, the Bible calls us kings and priests. That they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst and it devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and you shall be no more forever. When you really think about why, what happened with Satan and everything and mankind and all of this that's taken place, if you look at the root cause here, it was pride. It was pride. And so if, you know, Satan fell because of pride. As you saw, can you go back to 17? It says your heart was lifted up or pride, prideful because of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom. He had wisdom. It got corrupted. He thought of himself only. Pride only thinks of self. Pride thinks me, 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 me. It is the complete opposite of the kingdom. Right? Sometimes pride can be disguised. Sometimes pride can be disguised as what seems opposite, self-consciousness. Oh, they're shy. Let me tell you what's really at the root of self-consciousness. What's the first part of self-consciousness? Self. Me, me, what are they thinking about me? What are they going to say? If I get up and dance and I lift my hands in worship, what are they going to think? I don't know. I don't want to do that. Kind of weird. They're going to think I'm weird. When you're the only one not lifting your hands, you're the one that's weird not lifting your hands. First of all. Second of all. Second, second of all. You know, pride will cause you to not receive all that God has for you. Pride can't receive. It's trying to get for itself. It doesn't accept what's giving freely because it's trying to get itself. I'll get it myself. I'm self-made. I'm a self-made man. Everything I own is because of me. I built this up. All right. Like Pastor Darrell, I think Pastor Darrell said like a couple weeks ago, maybe on Sunday or something. He said, all right, give him back his air. Give him back his water. Right? Yeah. It's all you, right? You ma- did you make yourself? Not we ourselves. So the Bible says we didn't make ourselves. So sometimes it's dis- disguised as self-consciousness, you know, caring about the opinions of man rather than God. Yeah. Would you rather be pleasers of men or pleasers of God? Come on. It's simple. Amen. But when it's disguised as self-consciousness, sometimes you don't realize that its root is pride. But on the opposite end, not just self-consciousness, the opposite end is, again, I'm self-made. I'll take care of me. Now, honestly, this usually comes from struggle or hurt. Usually, I'll take care of me. No one's going to hurt me. I'll take care of me. I'm never going to struggle like that again. I'll take care of me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because at that point, he's not your God. He's not your father. Fathers take care of their children. Do you believe that your father takes care of you? Do you believe that your father takes care of you? And if you do, then you don't need to push, push him away to say, I'll make me this. I'll make me that. That's what Satan did. He said, I, I will rise above him, God. 
I'll take the throne. Me. And then a third of the angels, come on now. A third of the angels thought that would be a good idea and decided to follow him. Okay, and now there's, now there's everlasting chains awaiting for them. But you see, let's look at 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, because I think this is a very interesting tie between these two verses. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. So, therefore, just like it says in James 4.10, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In due time. He'll exalt you in due time. That means at the right time. You know, God sees at a macro view. He can look out. He can zoom out. When you can only maybe see something at a micro view, you can only see what's right in front of you. But God sees the big picture. And sometimes you can get so stuck on what's right in front of you and you don't see the big picture. You don't see everything God's working in your life. But if you would humble yourself, he said, he'll get you there. He said, I'll get you where you need to be. You just trust me. You just follow me and I'll get you where you need to be. I will exalt you at the exact right, at the perfect time. Where you thought, you might have thought, I needed this job and I needed to do this. And that might not have been God's plan. And you would have been at a place that's so much less than what God actually had for you. But because you couldn't see how God was seeing, let me tell you this. This is a little side note. Secret place. In the secret place. In the secret place. It's like you rise above what you can see and you can see the bigger picture. It's like the smoke clears and you can see clearly. God gives you direction. So if you get with him, but what, what happens when you have a lack of fellowship with God? You come up with your own plans. And when you come up with your own plans, you got to put yourself in that position. And when you put yourself in that position, you're the one who has to sustain yourself in that position. And now you're stressing. And now you're struggling. Because it's no longer God who's holding up. It's you holding you up. And you're trying. And you're toiling. Life is not supposed to be a toiling. Life is not supposed to be a struggle and be stressful. If you're in the will of God for your life, and you let God direct your steps, he said, I'll exalt you at the right time. Amen. And when it's the right time and it comes together beautifully, ooh, it's heaven. It's heaven. Hallelujah. And he sustains you. And there's peace. I mean, what, what would people give to have peace? I mean, think about the people who have millions, millions, billions, trillions, so much money, celebrities, fame, right, that kill themselves, that, you know, get on drugs, suicide, all that stuff. It's very high in that realm. No amount of money could pay for peace. No amount of money could, they, could make them see that they have a purpose, could make them see what God created them for. And that's the main thing in people's minds. When they're working and they're struggling and they're toiling every day because I got to make it, I got to do it, and they're stressing and they think, they lay down in bed at night and think, what is my purpose? What is all this for? What is the point of this? But if you follow God and let him exalt you in due time, he'll bring you to the place you need to be at. Amen? And he'll sustain you. He'll keep you there. If he brought you there, he'll keep you there. Amen? Where God guides, he provides. Have you heard that? It's a cute saying, but it's true. Where God guides, he provides. No, that takes away the stress and the struggle. He said in Matthew, we're not going to go there, but he said in Matthew, he said, he said why worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, right? Yeah. That's for the heathen to worry about. Yeah. Someone who doesn't have a father, 
Someone who doesn't have father is the one who has to worry about how they're going to get things. But when you're a child of the Most High God, come on. You're not just a servant. You're a son. You're a son. And what father would leave his son to fend for himself when he has all the riches? That wouldn't be a good father. But the Bible says he's a good father. It says he's good. It says every good and perfect gift comes from him, it says in James. Right? All right, so what I find is interesting, if you go to the next verse, so it says, humble yourself into my hand, God heals not you in due time. Verse 7. Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Huh. The fact that those two scriptures go together, hmm. So if you being humble is casting your care on him, allowing him to take care of you, saying, you're my father, and I know you'll take care of me, then the opposite is true. If you're in pride and you're puffed up, I'm self-made, I make it happen, all the cares are on you. You're carrying the burden. Everything that you do is a burden. It's hard. It's hard to wake up in the morning. Yeah. It's hard to go to work. Yeah. I hate this job. And then you go home. Oh, my house looks like this. And the kids are like this and the family is fighting. Everything is just hard. But instead, if you do what he's telling you to do, if you'd humble yourself for his plan for your life, casting your care on him because he cares for you, let him carry it. He can hold it. He can hold the weight. Swap strength with him. You give him your cares, he gives you his peace. How much better, how much better of a life to live a life full of peace, full of joy, right? Mm. That was interesting that that comes right after that scripture. Humble yourself, cast your care on him. Mm. Amen. So he'll take care of you. Now, he'll take care of you. Your job is to take care of others, right? And so you can't really fully take care of others and focus on their needs if you have to focus on yours. If you constantly have to focus on your needs, you can't focus on other people's needs. You're too busy. You're already filled up. Your time's already filled up with you. Your time's already filled up with how can I, how can I do that? How can I meet my own needs? And so this is why poverty is so bad. It's a curse. Poverty is a curse. It's just as much a curse as sickness is a curse. Just as much. They're twins from hell, poverty and sickness. When you're in poverty, you cannot take care of anybody else, and you cannot think of anyone else but yourself. When all you can do is make ends meet, when all you can do is just get by, you cannot even look at anyone else. You cannot look to your future. You can't even sow. Oh, you can't look at anyone but yourself. It causes you to have to be self, self, self. That's why when God breaks you free that and he says, give, put your focus on someone else. Put your focus on the kingdom. This will break you free. This will break you free. Sickness and poverty are from the pit of hell. Don't ever forget that. And so you you can't focus on other people's needs if you have needs. Okay? God doesn't have needs. And we know he takes care of us really well. When you don't have needs, you can take care of other people really, really well. And so prospering isn't just for you. You know, prospering is for other people. Being in health. You want to be healthy to help raise your kids, run around with your kids, right? Go to their games, whatever, right? It's all, I mean, health, prosperity, it's all part of the plan of God to even be able to do what he's even called you to do, right? Okay, so praise God. (laughs) Sickness and poverty rob people, just rob people. So now we're going to talk about grace to the humble. So like I said in verse 6, it says, if you um, humble yourself, he'll give you grace, right? But if you're prideful, 
He says he gives grace to the humble. Can you go to... No, James 4.10. James 4.10, please. I know, I said First Peter 5, but 4.10. Wait. Hold on. I'm missing something here. <laughs> so... If you humble yourself, God will give you grace. So the birthright, we're going to talk about birthright real quick. Now, we don't really talk about this much here in America, but every other place, I want to say every other, a lot of other places, have this birthright that's actually in the minds of the people all the time because this is how they flow, this is how they work. What's the birthright? Who gets the birthright? It's the firstborn son. Well, it's something that's been practiced all throughout history, the firstborn inherits all the father has, the land, the money, the power. And history has shown that firstborns often abuse the birthright for personal gain. We'll show you this in the Bible. Pride comes creeping in. So God actually regularly selects the younger sibling, and we're going we're gonna to see in a, in a couple examples, to give the birthright to. Hmm. Okay, Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Cain and Abel. We're going to go to Genesis 4, 1 through 7. I'm just going to read it from up here. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Y'all know what that means. And she conceived and bore Cain <laughs> and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. <laughs> and she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering to the, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now that was a no-no, and he knew it was a no-no. We'll get into that in a, sec in a second. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock of all their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Okay. Oh, man. These are the first two brothers in the Bible. Abel is actually, we're seeing Abel is actually elevated above Cain here. Cain had pride and didn't obey what the Lord had wanted. Don't think that he didn't know what um, a sacrifice was. It would be unjust for God to expect of him something that he didn't know about, that he was ignorant of. He knew better. When God says, I want, I want an animal sacrifice, don't come to him with cucumbers and tomatoes. That's not what he asked for. Right? That's straight up disobedience. That's disobedience. And so it was not unwillful ignorance. This was known to Cain. If he was humble... He would have made things right. And then God even gave him a chance. He said, why are you angry? If you do well, right? Go to that verse. If you do well, will you not be accepted? He could have turned it around right then. He could have had a yeah. repentive heart. Yeah. He could have turned it around right then. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. He, pride had already taken root in his heart. He had already decided within himself. Yeah. And then after that, what happened? he kills his brother. He didn't even have to do all that. He didn't even have to do all that. All he had to do was go get a, an animal. And it said, 
He's full of anger. He's full of pride. You're not going to take my offering. This is what I, I put work into this. I tilled the land. Uh, right? He didn't even have to do all that. He could have had the birth. He could have. He could have lived in the blessing. But he was full of pride. He was puffed up. He was arrogant. He said, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you have to say, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. All right. Example number two. Genesis 16. One through two. Ishmael and Isaac. Now, I don't want to just focus on the the pride in that first one. I want to focus on the fact that Abel brought a good sacrifice. He was humble and he obeyed the Lord. And so Abel was, it said God respected him. God had respect for him. You know, you can earn God's respect. You can have God's respect. God loves all of you. You're not going to earn his love, right? But there are certain things you do. There are so many times in the Bible where favor was put upon people, right? The favor of the Lord. Here's the second example, Ishmael and Isaac, Genesis 16, 1 through 2. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, I want to stop to say this. Before this verse, already, what already took place is God had already spoken to Abram and Sarai and said, you're going to bear children. You're going to have many descendants. So the word of the Lord was already given to them. So they already knew God had promised they're going to have children. So now let's look at this. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So she hadn't born yet. So a couple years went by. So here's the word of the Lord. Years go by, they haven't seen it yet. They haven't seen it in the natural. And that's when issues start arising in, in, in people, in their hearts. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Did I see it? Yeah, one, two, two. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Oh, that is an assumption. She said, oh, God must have restrained me from bearing children. That's not what God said. That's what she said. She didn't see it happening in the natural, and she said, God, I mean, I mean what he said, it must, it must not be true. It must not be true. He's restrained me from bearing children. He's the same God that just told y'all he's going to give you children, and she decides, God didn't, this wasn't a word of the Lord, this was a word of Sarai, and it was wrong. She said, see now, the Lord, he must be restrained to me. Obviously, it's not happening, because I don't see it in the natural. Remember, she laughed when the angel of the Lord told her? Yeah. Remember? Now, I'm going to say this. A lot of times, people use that, like, in an opposite way, and they're like, see the joy of the Lord. She laughed. She was in faith. She was not in faith. No. She laughed because she was like, me? Having children at this age? And the angel of the Lord was like, did you just say? And then she lied after that. And the angel was like, did you just laugh at that? You're not believing the word of the Lord? She's like, no, no, I didn't. I was um, coming, <laughs> you know? And so she already, I mean, you've seen that from before. Now, praise God, she does turn around, and she does become a woman of faith because then Hebrews chapter 11 ends up talking about her. So you can turn it around and still be used of God. Happened with David, happened with Sarah. Praise God for his grace. If you humble yourself. All the examples in the Bible where they don't humble themselves, they fall. But all the ones, even who made mistakes, they humbled themselves. David, he was still called a man after God's own heart. He sent, he looked at Bathsheba, he had her husband killed, all kinds of stuff. And he was still called a man after God's own heart. It's the heart. Are you humble? Do you have a repentant heart? Or when you sin, you say, oh, well, it's fine. It was my, whatever. It's not a big deal. Who cares? Whatever. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. Your heart is the most important part of you. Keeping your heart pure, keeping your heart clean. This is what either keep you from receiving from God or will cause you to receive from God. Yeah. Is your heart, your faith. And so she said, oh, the Lord must restrain me from marrying children. Please go into my maid. So go ahead and have children my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. So she said, let me try to think of it my way. Maybe I can do it another way. You know, I have this word of the Lord. I don't see it happening. So let me try to make it happen. All right? And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. 
I'm not, I don't have time to get into that right now. Why did Abram listen to Sarai? I don't know, because he had a word of the Lord himself. He should have stood up and been like, absolutely not. But I guess, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave that there. All right. <laughs> Next verse. <laughs> Next verse. Um, then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, um, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So it's already been 10 years. So it was looking like it wasn't going to happen, but they were only looking in the natural. So he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Oh, you know what? We're going to skip all that, and we're going to go to chapter 17, <laughs> verse 1 through 7. Genesis 17, 1 through 7. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. If you look earlier in Genesis, is when he had already spoken to Abram. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. What did I say? One through seven. <clears throat> and no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish, you know, we're the kings that came from him. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Okay, now go to 18, 18 to 21, verses 18 to 21, same chapter. 17, 18 to 21 says, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Next verse. Then God said, No. <laughs> no, not Ishmael. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. He said, yeah, the original plan that I told you? Yeah, we're sticking with that. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you behold, I, I bless him. I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. You know, he ain't doing nothing wrong himself. He shall be got 12 princes, and I'll make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, my covenant. Yeah. I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. So God had a plan to actually bless Isaac and get, make a covenant with him and give him the birthright, even though Ishmael was technically the firstborn. And in Israel, he was supposed to have the birthright, even though it was with another wife. He's still the firstborn of Abram. He's the son of Abram, so he was supposed to have it. But God said, no, no. See, they had made a decision, Sarai and Abram, they had made a decision based on the natural when they decided to have Ishmael. And a lot of people do this now. Yeah. But let me tell you, God cannot, cannot bless, will not, cannot bless. Amen. Disobedience, yeah. Yeah. he cannot bless disobedience and he cannot bless unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. He can't. He can't. And so when they had Ishmael, that was out of straight unbelief and disobedience. Time had passed. They said, I don't see it happening. I can't see, I don't have the kids. It's been years, a couple years. And then that's when she made an assumption, is in that time. Let me tell you, let me tell you, the time between the Lord telling you something and you seeing it in the natural, be real careful with that time, what you do with that time. Yeah. Be careful with your mind, what you do with your mind. Yeah. Lay hold of the promises of God. Yeah. Look at this over and over Amen. until you see it in the natural. Amen. You shall have what you say. Yeah. You shall have it. 
You'll have it. Between the saying it and the natural having it, that span of time right there. Ooh, that's where some people have kind of wavered. But it says in the word, do not waver at the promises of God. Do not. So in the moment, he tells you, yeah, this is awesome, which you should be. It's exciting. It's awesome. But in that time afterwards, you need to still be like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm excited. Because that is where faith is tested. What? Tested? Yeah. There is no such thing as untested faith. Pastor Mark Hankins said that. There's no such thing as untested faith. If it was right there the moment you said it, you wouldn't need faith. Wouldn't need faith for it. You would never need to use faith if you could see it all the time. Yeah. Right? So they had made a decision out of the natural, and I need to speed up a little bit. (laughs) They made a decision out of the natural. But God cannot bless us with innocent unbelief. So it didn't go to the firstborn there either. It went to the second. Now, third, Jacob and Esau, Isaac's two sons. Esau was the firstborn. I'll just read through this. We don't have to go to it. But God said uh, in Genesis 23, 34, Esau despised the birthright, right? And so Jacob and Esau, they came from Isaac. And so, and so uh, Esau despised his birthright. And it says in Genesis 25, 23, that the older God had said, even when they were in the womb, the older will serve the younger. So I'm going to say this. You know how you, you hear in the Bible or you hear people say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, it was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Mm. But you don't ever hear anyone say that. Yeah. You don't hear that because wow. he's not. It's not. Wow. It could have been, but it wasn't. Yeah. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob desi- so desired that birthright. But it says Esau just despised it. He despised it. Now, you might think that's a strong word, that he despised it. Like, he might have, you know, because he wanted soup, if you know the story. He's hungry. <laughs> It's in the natural. Nikki relates to the soup part, but you're not giving up any birthrights, praise God. And (laughs) she loves soup, okay, more than anyone I know. That's why I said that. Uh, Esau, Esau, he could have, in his heart, he could have been with the plan of God. And it's just because he was, you know, sold it for some some food, God actually calls it despising. Now, he could have been like, oh, that's a heavy word. I wasn't really despising it. I just, you know, I was hungry. No, God, God, God calls that despising it. He didn't show honor. He didn't care much about it. And God likens that to despising, despising it. And so it could have been Abraham, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Next, Saul, number four, another example. I'm just going to run through this. Saul is the king, right? Israel appointed Saul to be the king. Saul had a son, Jonathan. So who would have been next in line? Jonathan. But he wasn't. After Saul, who came after Saul instead? David. David. Good job. (laughs) But God, yeah, but God chooses David, a humble man from a low-status family. You see, Israel chose Saul because he's a tall, powerful ruler. They're thinking naturally. But Obviously, within Saul, he became puffed up, right? But they, uh, they decided that they wanted Saul to be their ruler because he looked like a good ruler from the outside, but God looks at the heart. Thank God for that. Thank God he sees from the bigger picture. Amen? Amen. So they chose Saul, but God chose David, the youngest out of eight brothers. Not only was he not the firstborn, he wasn't the second or the third or the fourth, he was the eighth, the youngest of eight. He skipped all of them and went to David. Because he saw David's heart. Amen. He saw David was humble. Yeah. 
David looked after them sheep. And he wasn't like, man, them stupid sheep. No, no. He wasn't out there like, man, I hate this job. You couldn't have gave me anything else? Couldn't I have been in the kitchen or something? No, no. He, I mean, with his bare hands, tore apart a lion, tore apart a bear, you know, trying to get to them sheep. He was passionate about his job. He was passionate about things God. He wrote, David wrote a lot of those psalms out there with the sheep. Yep. Think about that. He sent the sheep, and what does he say in there? Like what we said this morning, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go in the house of the Lord. He's full of joy. He's humble. He knows the Lord is his God. He knows God fights for him. That's obviously how he came. He had the most faith out of the whole army that was out there against Goliath, against the Philistines. And this one, the youngest one, he had faith. See, faith is in the heart of a humble man. Okay, amen. <laughs> so there's a man-made system of power where men exalt other men or themselves. But God said, like in James 4, 6. Oh, 4, 6. I kept saying 4, 10. Maybe that's why. Go to James 4, 6. <laughs> I think 4, 10 was good too. I mean, it's all good, right? <laughs> Just throw that one out there for free. But can you go to James 4, 6? Ah, there, that's what I was looking for earlier. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. That's what I was looking for. But he gives grace to the humble. Not only does he give grace to the humble, he resists the proud. You know what resisting is? I mean, resist. Like, get, get at it. the same thing that God told you. He said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That same word that he tells you to go against Satan himself, that same word he used, yeah. resist the devil, is the same way he'll resist you if you're prideful. Wow. Satan was prideful. You're resisting him. God will resist you if you're full of pride. He'll resist you if you're full of pride. He has to. He did with Satan. He, he, he'd do it again if he had to. So, but don't let him have to with you. Amen. Amen. So humility, here's another definition. We said earlier that it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? Thinking, thinking of yourself less, thinking about other people. And so here's another one. Humility is submitting to God's way. That's lordship. Let me give you an example. You can only come to him by the blood. You can only come to him by the blood. If you try to come to him by any other way, by any other means, what did Jesus say? I am the way, not a, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's through the blood. And so if you, you know, submitting to God is submitting to his ways and how he, how he wants things done. Pharisees, how they came? They came by their good works. Pharisees came by their good works. They didn't come to him with faith in the blood. They came by all their good works. And so surely, even God prefers unrighteousness to self-righteousness. He would even prefer unrighteousness over self-righteousness. So uh, Revelation 3.15. Most of y'all probably heard this, but I'm going to kind of give it to you in another way. He said to this church in Revelation, Jesus said, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. And then the next verse, he says, if you're lukewarm, I'll you can stay on 15, though. Or, okay, yeah. If you are lukewarm, um, neither hot nor cold, I'll vomit you out my mouth. You could say it like this. I was studying this, and I thought, you know, you could say it just like this. I'd rather you be unrighteous or be righteous. But to be self-righteous, I'll spit you out my mouth. Why? Why does he say that? Why cold? You know, you ever thought that? Like, you know, you think, oh, lukewarm is a little bit hot, like hot or cold. Why does he even say cold? Like, like he'll accept that. Because God can work with cold. God can work with someone who's unrighteous, but he can't work with someone who's self-righteous. He says, I can't do nothing with that. When the Pharisees came to him, those are the only ones that he roasted. (laughs) Those are the only ones that he was like, you brought of vipers. 
You whitewashed sepulchers full of dead man's bones. But did he say that to like the little ladies that came to him and anointing them with his... No, he was awesome, sweet. Well, he's always awesome, you know. That was needed to say to them. So the thing is, God himself said, I can't even do anything with you if you're self-righteous. I'd wish you be hot or cold. I wish you be righteous or unrighteous because at least sinners know that they're sinners and they need a savior. At least he can do something with them. At least whenever you were a sinner and you humbled yourself. See, self-righteous people don't humble themselves. And he said, I can't do anything with them. There's nothing to be done. I just can't do anything with them. That's powerful. I'd rather you be righteous or unrighteous, but definitely not self-righteous. I'll just vomit you right out my mouth. All right, so all of those examples were really just a lead up for this, Romans 11.11. All those examples are types and shadows for this. So I kept showing you that he resists the proud and he gave it to the ones that were humble. He didn't give the birthright and all of his inheritance and everything that he had to the one that was first. He gave it to the one that was humble and that wanted it. So then it says in 11... Paul is talking here. He says, Say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. I want you to focus on that last part. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now go to verse 19. We're going to do 19 through 20. Verse 19 through 20. So salvation at first was just for the Jews, right? It was just for the Jews. But then... It may, it's made available for the Gentiles. Let's see, it says, you will say then, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. What does that mean? The Jews, who were, through their unbelief and their doubt, he said, fine, I'm going to give salvation to the Gentiles. Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. And so he said, fine, I'm going to give it to everybody else, right? And so next verse, well said, because of your unbelief, they are broken off and you stand by faith. And then he said, do not be haughty, but fear. So he's talking about the Gentiles who are saved. He said, don't be haughty yourself. Don't get in a haughty spirit yourself. He gives a warning. He says, yes, I took it from Jews, gave it to Gentiles. But you yourself don't get haughty. Because what happens if you get haughty? Let's go to Proverbs 16, 18, but stay in Romans. Like put a little, put your finger there or something. Put a little piece of paper right there. Because we're going to go back to Romans 11. And when we do, we're going to go to 21 and 22. But right now, Proverbs 16, 18 says pride. Now, how many of y'all have heard Pride goes before a fall. This is what they're talking about. It's kind of misquoted, okay? But, I mean, don't, it's, I get what people are saying when they say pride comes before a fall. I always think that's not really what the verse says, but okay. Um, it's the same connotation there, okay? So don't arrest them, all right? Don't beat them up if they say it like that. But here's the actual verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty spirit's like pride. So you kind of see there. But go back to Romans 11. 21 through 22. So we just got saying, got through saying that God took, he said, fine, Jews, my own people. You don't want it? I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. Give it to the Gentiles. But then he says, you yourself don't get puffed up. Don't get haughty yourself. For if God did not spare the natural branches, branches, the Jews, he ain't going to spare you either if you get haughty too. Next verse. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. Goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. He said, don't get prideful. Don't get prideful about what I've done for you. Don't get prideful that I've saved you, redeemed you, set you free. You're where you are because of me. So don't get so puffed up that you start pointing fingers at everybody else and you get a haughty spirit thinking you're the best thing since sliced bread. 
Because he said, I'll cut you off too. He can't, pride is not allowed in heaven. Obviously, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what the word says. And so, pride can't enter into heaven. You have to have a humble heart to get anything from God. Ooh. Amen. All right, so, honestly, the thing is, oh, actually go to verse 23. I do want to go to that. And they also, if they do not continue in belief, they'll be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So he says, if they would turn their heart, I'll let them back in. So not, not only is like I resist the proud, but also I do give grace to the humble. If you humble yourself, I'll give you more grace. I'll let you right back in. You can come in. Come back in. It's all up to you. It is up to your heart. Amen? And so when it comes to relationships, did you know most, you know, any types of relationships? Romantic, friendship, family, any relationships. Walking in love is the thing that will keep your relationships together, right? Yes. Proverbs 13, 10. We're going to wrap it up here shortly. Proverbs 13, 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. Pride is the root of all of the problems, the arguments that you have. It's pride at the root of it. Yeah. Every argument that you're in with your, your, you know, your cousin on your mom's side that lives over there, or you know, whatever it is, that one uncle, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, that one uncle. <laughs> Those contentions at the root of it is pride. Something has to give. Somebody has to give. And so even it shows you right there, pride comes nothing but strife. Remember the new commandment? To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, he said all of that will be fulfilled if you just do this. He made it so simple. Jesus made it so simple. If you just love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13 has to be our model every day. 1 Corinthians 13 has to be our model. Let's go to Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Well, I'm going to just read it after you pull it up. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let me esteem you better. When I cut the pieces of pie and I'm giving out the pie, I'm not going to say it's the best one for me. I'm going to give you the best one. Okay? Right? Why are you looking like that? Ah! Got to work on that. Listen to this sermon again after we leave from here. But also for the interest of, uh, oh, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You got to read this and read this and read this. Let me tell you. Read this over and over and over. Yes. Read this over and over. Because oftentimes in the natural, what's going to start popping? What does a toddler do? What do little kids do? <laughs> me, 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 that's my toy. It's not even your toy. Like it's probably the other kids, so that's mine, mine, my toy. Right? That's what kids do. It's a natural inclination of the flesh, but the flesh does not dominate you. Amen? Say, nope, I'm like Jesus. Oh, I like how you repeated that. Amen. <laughs> I'm like Jesus. Amen. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the first couple verses, it says if you do anything outside of love, if anything you do is not specifically motivated by love, yeah. you're like a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. Oh, there it is. Sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. It's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like a fork on a plate. None of these bother me, but I've heard they bother people. 
fork on a plate or fork through the teeth. I've heard that bothers people. Just a, a noise that's like, mm, makes you cringe. That's what you sound like. You think, oh, I speak in tongues. Oh, I speak in all these languages. I'm, I have the gifts of the spirit, right? If it's not done through love, it sounds like garbage. Yeah. It sounds awful. It sounds distorted. It sounds like trash. You ever heard an instrument out of tune? You're like, oh, stop, please. That's what you sound like. Next verse. Man, come on this morning, walking in love. We're getting into it. If you have the gift of prophecy, you understand all mystery, all of it, all knowledge. You know everything in the Bible. You're the best Bible scholar there is. Everything. Have all the faith. Come on, all faith so that you can move mountains, but you don't love. You're nothing. Absolutely nothing. No point. No, no point at all. Next verse. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Think, really think about that. Yeah. You sold your TV. You sold everything in your room. You sold the couch. You sold your clothes. You sold everything just so that you could feed the poor. And give your body to be burned. That means you gave yourself as a sacrifice. But you don't have, if it wasn't out of love, if that wasn't the sole motivation for doing what you're doing, it profits you absolutely nothing. You get no reward in heaven. You get there and say, and you lived without, all, you know, your clothes, you gave away everything, your couch, your TV, all of this. And yet you get to heaven and you get no reward. Imagine that. Don't let that be you. It profits you nothing if you do it not out of love. You might think, well, then why, how would someone do that? Why would they give all their stuff to the poor if it's not out of love? What kind of, what, what other motivation would they have? Well, look at me. You ever seen videos? Look, I'm giving yeah. to the poor, right? Yeah. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. It could, be out of, it could be out of a motivation of look what I'm doing, right? Yeah. If it's not out of love, there's no point. Don't even do it. Yeah. When I, I said that I was preaching this to the youth on Wednesday also, this piece of 1 Corinthians 15. And then also um, when you're talking about giving, he said he wants it to be out of your heart, not reluctantly, yeah. not, out of, um, not out of pressure, but a cheerful giver whose heart is, is in his giving. So yeah. what he's saying there is if your heart isn't in it, don't even give it. Yeah. Don't even right. give it. Apparently you need that. Apparently you need to work on some stuff. Because before you can even come and give that, if your heart's not attached, you have no reward and there's no point of even doing it. Yeah. Next verse. Okay, we're going to go through that. Y'all read that on your own time. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. So... 1 Peter 5, 5, while we wrap it up with this, 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God is proud and gives grace to the humble. Submissive to one another, submissive to other people's needs, what they want to do, where they want to go eat. What, when you're submissive to one another, how many arguments would, if somebody just gave? You know, love always gives first. Love always goes first. Love, love is not a reciprocal, you know, if you do it, then I'll do it. That's not love. Yeah. Love goes first. Yeah. The Bible says, you know, even heathens will give when someone's given to them, right? Even heathens will be nice to you if you're nice to them. That's what it says. I mean, even someone on the street, if you're nice to them, you know, you smile and they'll smile back, whatever. But for you to be the first one to go, the first one to love, the first one to do, the first one to give, that's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you like God. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. He went first. He didn't say, no, I'm going to wait for y'all. Y'all turn it around. He said, I'll go first. 
I'll be the example. I'll be the model, and you follow after me. If you're in a contention with someone, I want you to go home. First of all, I want you to forgive them and let that go in your heart because that's muy importante. Let that go in your heart. Super, super important. Secondary, I want you to be the first one to give, the first one to say sorry, the first one to say, let me take you to dinner, let me take you to lunch. I want you to be the first one. Not just I, don't do it because I want you to be. God wants you to be. God tells you to be the first one because love always goes first. And you might think if you're, you know, in your relationship or what if they keep treating me like this and I'm doing that and they don't reciprocate it. Well, first of all, you reap what you sow is what the Bible says. So you have to trust and believe that God's word is true. And second, second of all, you're going to be held for what you did, not what they did to you. You're going to be held accountable for what you did. And so regardless, you can have a clear conscience to say, I did everything I could. I love them. You know, we, I submitted to them. I'm doing the best of my ability. And God sees that, and he will bless you. And even if it doesn't return to you through them, it'll return to you through someone else. Because God is not mocked. That's what the Bible says. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall reap. So regardless if it has to be through someone else, he will because he's just. Because he's faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you don't want characteristics of the devil. Characteristics of the devil is to be prideful. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying you have a devil, but Jesus did say you're like your father, the devil, to the Pharisees. So you don't want to have the same characteristics that are described as Satan, right? You want to be described as Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, you be the one to apologize. You be the one to go first. You're the one that loves first. Love goes first. God gave first. God blessed you first. It says we love because he first loved us. So now you do the same to other people. It says if you don't love your brother, you're, you have hatred in your heart. Yeah. And you can't love God. You can't love God if you don't love your brother. Amen? Amen. Everything we do ought to be from this place. Amen. So if we could have our altar call workers come up this morning. Like I said earlier, I said God, well, like three seconds ago, I said, you know, God, he loved you. So much that he gave his son. He loved you so much that he, he gave you the best thing that he had. The best, the best of the best. He loved you so much and wanted a relationship with you so much that he came in the likeness of men, was reviled, reviled not back. He humbled himself to come and to form a relationship with you because he loves you that much. So if you're in here this morning, and you've never made Jesus your Lord. You know, maybe you were like, I'm going to try to do it my own way. But you're like, it's not working no more. I'm, I am struggling. I am toiling. Submit to God's plan for your life. Allow him to be Lord of your life. Amen. Give him lordship. Allow him to take, well, you know, take something that was like dirt and make it into a pearl. Allow him to take the old and make it new. Allow him to take something dirty and make it clean. He'll restore you. He'll forgive you, bring you back to the Father. All through the blood of Jesus, and it's a free gift. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. It's a free gift. It's free. And so if you have never made Jesus Christ Lord, or you want prayer for anything, you want to come into agreement, hey, I need someone to, to walk through this with me. I need prayer. That's what we're here for. We're here to link arms with our brothers and sisters. We're here to uplift each other. Amen? And so if you, have, if you need prayer for anything, I mean anything, they are willing to pray. Not only willing, they want to. They pray on their own time. They're praying for you. They're, 
we're not in a, in a rush to try to hurry up and get out. If you're, if you're thinking, oh, I kind of want to pray, but I don't want to take up their time. I'm not self-conscious. No, no. Be humble and say, Lord, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to get this out, and I'm going to make this right, or whatever it is that you need prayer for. So, Father, I thank you for this service. Lord, I thank you for this message that you have for your people. Lord, I thank you that every heart in here has revelation that you humbled yourself to the point of death, that you are the prototype, that you are the model, and that we model our lives after you, that we walk in love with our brothers, that we serve, that we're here and we say we wake up in the morning and I'm here to serve other people. It's not about me. It's not all about me, but it's about you. Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus. For, I thank you for every person that's here that sowed this morning. I thank you for extreme blessing upon them, harvest on their seed sown. Lord, I thank you that every person in here is a doer of this word that was spoken today and not just yours only. And I thank you that Word of Life Church is going to the next level. And you said to go up, we must go down. To go to the next level, we must humble ourselves. And so, Father, I thank you that we're going to the next level in this church in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com from our YouTube channel to our podcast to our SoundCloud and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages and it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.